going to kick off a brand new teaching series. So, I don't know, I, I put out like a quick social media video on our, on our New Life social platforms, and I encouraged you to do one thing yesterday. I said, hey, look, bring a Bible. Bring a Bible with you. So, if you have a Bible, I want you to get it in your hand, okay? That could also be your cell phone, because I said, if you have a cell phone, it's got like at least 40 Bibles on it if you have the Uversion app, Okay. So if you've got your, your paper uh, Bible or you've got your analog Bible, just put it in your hand really quick, okay? I want you to open it up to 1 John. Find 1 John. Okay, now look, if you've got a paper Bible and you don't know where 1 John is, there's two choices for you. You can go to the beginning of the table of context. You can find it, flip to that page number. Or you can go to the end and find Revelation and back up. Back up from Revelation to Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. Bam, you're there, okay? Digital, you know what to do, okay? You know what to do. Find 1 John. That's where we're going to be at today. We're going to drift into uh, 1 John chapter 2 as well, all the way through to chapter, uh, verse 6. Uh, so that's going to be our context for today as we get started in this new teaching series of what is love. But if you've got your Bible in any kind of form, fashion, or whatever, would you just hold it up in the air and let me hear your voice really quick. Come on. Right on. Yeah. Right on. Okay. Look at that, man. I mean, we could have probably turned the lights off in the Carney campus with the amount of cell phone screens I just saw. Isn't it cool? Isn't it cool? Like, look, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, my father taught me to respect God's word. And this is all we had was this, the analog paper, paper version. If, if the Bible was sitting on the coffee table of our house and something was sitting on top of it, guess what would happen? Like, whoever put that on top of the Bible is in trouble. Right? And now, now, now I'm like this. Hey, my iPad on top of the Bible is really just see it as a stack of Bibles here. Right? Because there's like a hundred Bibles on here. It's like a stack of them. I just think it's so cool that we live in a day and age where you can use the digital version to study God's word better, easier than you ever have been able to before. And isn't it interesting that you've got God's word at your fingertips, but we're more busy than we've ever been before? Wow. Wow, but I know this, guys. Look, I know this. God is at work in America. I want you to hear that with me right now. I want you that are in our campuses watching online today to know this pastor believes God is supernaturally at work in America. I think there are things that God is doing right now that would blow your mind away if you could actually see with your physical eyes what God's doing. But I believe there's a day that is soon coming when there is going to be an incredible spiritual awakening. Why do I believe God is so at work in America today? The reason why I believe that is because the enemy is at, at work, in ever increasingly at work, at attacking Christians, Christianity, and the church in any capacity, shape, or form. Like if you just look at the news... You look at the news and you see things like, hey, the FBI has now called Catholics potential terrorists. Did you hear, did you see that in the news? Uh, that was kind of baffling to me um, when that kind of stuff came out. Or recently I was just with a pastor that's in Minnesota and he goes, Jeff, did you hear about what the, uh, the state Senate and, um, and the House are doing right now? They're getting ready to pass a law Right, that's going to put into play that all public school teachers can no longer stand up for their Christian faith. That if they don't believe, champion, and promote the secularism right, that the state passes that has to be mandated by every teacher to lead, then the Christian faith of that teacher will cause them to be fired. I said, no, I didn't know that, but it doesn't surprise me. The faith-based pregnancy centers are being you know, vandalized and being attacked. 
We got churches that are facing increasing discrimination. We have spiritual leaders who can't even walk into public libraries and get Christian books and read them to children. We got American workers who are being fired because of their Christ-centered beliefs, and we got business owners that are going bankrupt because they choose to put their Christian faith uh, ahead and use their Christian faith to lead them in business, and some of those businesses are going bankrupt. The enemy is attacking, and why is he attacking? He's attacking because God is on the move. The enemy can see in the spiritual realm what God is preparing and what God is doing, and the enemy is doing everything he can in the physical realm to dislocate you from what God's getting ready to do on this earth. That's what I believe as your pastor. I just believe God has not given up on humanity. God has not given up on his church, okay? God has not given up, and God's very much at work. That's why I know the enemy is attacking, because he hates God, number one. He hates God, and he hates godly people. But I want to tell you that the real reason why the enemy is attacking is because he can sense and he can see that there's a spiritual awakening that's getting ready to happen. I believe we're on the edge of that church. I believe that we here in America, I believe around the world, by the way, I don't think it's an America thing. I don't think it's an America first concept, okay? Uh, I don't believe that it's an English-speaking only move of God. I think God's at work, but one of the things is that we are leaders in, on this planet, right? We are leaders here in America, and since we are leaders, we should own that and recognize that, look, people are looking to us, and where are we going to go? And my heart goes out, and it says to you, where are you going to be? Are you hungry for Jesus? Are you hungry for what God's doing? I'm amazed that when I look at simple things, like I don't even hardly watch NFL football games, but did you see? There were a couple of amazing, spiritual, dynamic things that were earth-shattering that took place in this past season. Like uh, the, the DeMar Hamlin uh, ish, uh, situation, the Buffalo Bills safety, where you know, he ends up falling dead on the field right in the middle of the game. They're trying to rescue him. They're trying to, you know, bring him back to life. The whole stadium basically drops to their knees, whether physically or spiritually, and it turns into the largest prayer gathering in America that we've seen in a long time. And nobody was opposed to that, right? Nobody was opposed to that, and if they were, their voice got squashed pretty quick. We had, t we had TV, you know, anchors that were praying on TV. They didn't get fired, Right? Right? When, something, when something like that goes down, it's amazing how people press in and they move quickly towards God. We need you. I'm telling you, that is a real indicator of what I think the heart is behind all of the chaos. I think God's at work. He's getting ready to do something. So we also have like the Super Bowl. I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl or not. It doesn't really matter to me if you did. But uh, in the first half and in the second half, he gets us. This campaign, he gets us. They put out these amazing commercials. They were the best commercials in the whole Super Bowl, okay? And these commercials, whether you liked them or you didn't like them, here's what they were attempting to do, to point people back to Jesus. That's what they were trying to do. I, I just know this, anybody who's trying to point people towards the real Jesus is somebody I'm going to be with, okay? You might not like everything they do, you might not like how they do it, but anybody that's trying to point people to the real Jesus, I'm standing with them. And so I love the fact that in the world, broadcast throughout the known world, people watching the Super Bowl all over the world had to come face to face with a living, true God. I love that. I love that. Here's the other thing. As a pastor, I get a chance to rub shoulders with other pastors. This past week, I was doing the very same thing. Here's what I discovered. Prayer is on the increase in the church. If prayer is on the increase in the church, God's at work. 
God's on the move. Something is happening. I'm also hearing about these revival services that are, that are coming up all over the place, like the Asbury uh, revival. Did you, see, did you see that at all? Did you, did you hear about that at all on this college campus? And these students that they didn't go into it, you know, with a scheduled revival? <laughs> like some churches, they schedule revival. I remember growing up as a kid going, hey, you want to come to our revival services? Well, when are they? Well, they're Thursday, and they're going to end on Sunday night. Like, that's awesome. I get it. The heart behind it was amazing, but that's not what revival is. Revival is when God shows up and he takes control. And man steps down and says, I'm just going to follow where you're leading. And that's that's what's going on there. That's what's going on in other places. I believe that there's an increase of the move of God. Now, in the midst of all of that, most churches in America, hear me, most churches in America are not back to their pre-COVID attendance numbers including new life. But what I have discovered, and as I've been talking with other pastors, in our amazement, there's a bunch of new people, like many of you I'm talking to, that have walked through our doors of our church and many other churches that you weren't a part of our church. But now post-COVID, those who have walked through the doors are hungrier for Jesus than what we were seeing even pre-COVID. There is something going on under the surface There's something happening, okay, that's below the surface. I think what's happening is this. There's an increased passion for Jesus. I think there's an increased boldness for Jesus that's stirring up in the hearts of the average Christ follower. I know that many of you, you look around our world and you look at the culture of America and you think to yourself, like, well, the church got knocked down. The church got beat up. But I'm here to tell you as your pastor, it's a new round. The bell has rung and the church of Jesus Christ is alive and strong and we're coming out of the corner and we're ready to fight one more time to be faithful and show the love of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's who we are. We're coming out to fight with faithfulness and love, church, right? And to stand up and go, look, this is who our God is. That's why I'm leading you to 1 John. I'm bringing you to 1 John right now because when you look at the book of 1 John, it's like a doorway. It's a doorway from one world to another world. The book of 1 John, it might be short, it might be simple, but it was designed that way. It was written by the Apostle John, one of those who was the closest to Jesus. If Jesus had 72 at one time and he had 12 that that walked with him normally, he had three that were super close to him. John was one of those. In fact, it's written that John was like, he like almost the most loved in a way, right? That John, he laid his head against the chest of Jesus. He He was close to Jesus. And I think John's writing this as a doorway for humanity to go, who is Jesus? What does it mean to be a New Testament believer? What is this whole thing even looking like called the New Testament? And it becomes a doorway for you to understand it. If you can grasp the principles and the precepts of 1 John, you can grasp the principles and the precepts of what it means to be a New Testament believer here today in 2023. That's why I want to take you there because 1 John becomes like a, an instruction manual. It becomes an instruction manual for three things. What it looks like to love God, what it looks like to love others, and what it looks like to receive the love or experience the love of God. Those are the three things. So that's why this whole series is called What is Love? It's not going to break down love in like a, um, you know, Valentine's Day concept. All right, we're going to be looking at it from a much deeper perspective of what really is love. But this book's going to help you see, like, what does it mean to love God, love others? 
and to experience the love uh, that God has. Which, by the way, is is a powerful topic. Love is the greatest force in the universe. Love is the greatest force in the universe. Love is the most manipulated force in the universe as well. And so we want to truly understand this. Jesus talked about love in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, when he said this. So, so now I'm, I'm giving you a new commandment. Here's the new commandment, church. Love each other. So just as I have loved you, Jesus said, you should love each other. And then he goes on, he says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So why is it that Jesus gave us this new command? First and foremost, he put it right in there. He says, look, so that you can support and love one another. I don't know about you, but it feels good when someone loves me. I feel secure when I am loved. That's the way you were designed, right? I feel like I'm in the sweet spot when I feel loved. But when I feel adversity, it takes me out of my sweet spot. It causes the hair on the back of my neck to stand up. It causes me to get prickly, right? Like a porcupine. It causes me to be that kind of person you don't, want, you don't want to be around. But when I feel loved, I feel secured. And that's how you feel. And Jesus, first and foremost, wants us to be a, have a love towards one another that makes us feel safe and secure and confident so that we can be the people God called us to be. Which is what? Than to display or to give that love away to others. So we are to show love towards one another that then becomes attractive to the world so that we can give the world the love of Christ. So 1 John, there's no, um, there's no way to get around it. Um, and I'm glad that it starts this way because look, if it's going to be a book that tells us how to love God, love others, and experience the love um, of God, then we first have to start with the centerpiece of God, which is Christ. And that's exactly what... 1 John does. So if you want to truly know what love is, then you have to know Jesus. You have to know Jesus. In the first three verses of 1 John, and you got your Bible open, and I'm using the New Living Translation, okay, the first three verses, here's what they say. It says this, that we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes, and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one, who is life itself, was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. So here's John, he's writing on behalf of a group of people. He keeps using the we and our instead of I and me. And he keeps driving this home. But one thing becomes super clear. So you're going to want to hold, hold on to that scripture you know, in your phone or you know, in your paper Bible. Because one thing becomes super clear that these people, they really truly know who Jesus is. How do we know that? Well, because look at what they say about him. They said, look, well, we know this about him. He existed from the beginning. That's one of the statements. He's always been. We know this about him. He he was here before anything else was here. And when you look at the New Testament, you start to see through this gateway, this doorway of 1 John, that, yep, that is true because we discover in other parts of Scripture that all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. That Jesus wasn't an afterthought of God after creation, that it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit 
pre-creation working together. That's who Jesus is. He existed from the beginning. And the other thing they say about him is that he is the word of life. And you go, well, what in the world does that mean, that he is the word of life? Because the Apostle John also starts out in his gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he writes in there that, that Jesus is the word. What does it mean that Jesus is the word? To simply put it, it means this, that Jesus is the mediator. He is the mediator who has come between God and man. And if Jesus doesn't come, we have no mediator between God and man. Why? Because God is holy. We are sinful. Our sin has separated us from God. We need a mediator that goes between, that pays the price for our sins so that we can have relationship with him. So they're saying we know that Jesus is the word of life. Then they also say that he is the one who is life itself. Check that out. Jesus is life itself. He is the giver of life, the sustainer of life. That without Jesus, you don't really know what life is. You think you, are, you, think you know what life is because you live on this planet and you breathe this air and you live in this economy and you, you survive. But you don't know what life is. That's not life. Life is nothing if Jesus isn't at the center so they know this about him. And then they go on with that concept and they go, oh, you know what else we know? He's eternal life. That means that you can have hope beyond this world, right? That it isn't just what you see here. It's also what is to come, that he was here before it all. He'll be here after it all. He's the alpha, the omega, and that through Christ and Christ alone that we can have eternal life. And then lastly, here's what they know about Jesus, that he was, the fa- he was with the Father, then he came to walk with us. They know that Jesus, he, he left heaven which is perfect, especially when you compare it to what we know about earth, and he came to walk with us. Guys, this is the things that they're saying here. We know this about Jesus. And then they go, look, let me back it up with the encounters that we've had with Jesus. And they say, here's our encounters we had with him. We have heard and seen him with our own eyes, right out of those first three verses. We heard and we've seen him with our own eyes, they say. We touched him with our own hands. And then just to make sure you understand it, and I quote, they said this, we ourselves have actually seen and heard him. Just in case you thought we were putting on VR glasses and experiencing Jesus, we were not. Just in case you thought we were having dreams and visions of him, we were not. We actually saw him. We saw him with our own eyeballs that rest inside of our own cranium. We saw him, we heard him with our own ears. We touched him with our own physical hands. Now, what is the takeaway? What's the takeaway? The takeaway is this. You should be asking yourself this question. Do I know Jesus like they do? Do I know him like they do? And you might go, well, I, I, I didn't walk with him. I didn't physically see him and hear him with my own ears and touch him with my own hands. I know you have something better. You have his spirit that's living in you. Look, I desperately wish that I was one of those who sat there and saw him with my own eyes. Anybody with me? I really wish that I could have been one that could have heard him with my own ears. I really wish I could have been one that would have touched him with my own hands. But when I really think about it, I do have to admit I do have something better. I have his spirit living in me. They didn't. They didn't have that at that time. They didn't have it right then when he was with them. 
but his spirit is living in me. He's revealing himself to us. Do you know Jesus in the same way that they know him? Right? Have you had encounters with him? Have you heard his voice whisper to you? Have you had his word come alive to you and awaken you in the midst of your troubled time, in the midst of your darkness? Has, has he come and met you? Have you had moments where you've been overwhelmed in the presence of God? Have you wept in his presence? Have you laughed? Have you thought to yourself, like, I thought everything was crushing it around me, and he reminds you of, your faithful, of his faithfulness, you know, like, ah, man, how did I forget that? Have you seen him? Have you experienced in him? Right? Do you know the teachings of Jesus? Do you know them? And can you defend them? Can you say that this teaching is true and I live by it? Do you know his teachings? Can you defend his teachings? Have you had wonderful moments where you've experienced the power and the presence of Jesus? Have you heard his voice? Have you? Do you know him like they know him? Let me just say this to you. A first-hand experience with Jesus is something all of us need. There's no substitute for a first-hand experience. You can hear from me. You can hear from your life group leader. You can hear from others. But there is no substitute. Like If we're not having a first-hand revelation, a first-hand experience with Jesus where we actually walk away like they did and they go, I know him then you're setting yourself up for a very, very difficult place. Maybe it once used to be, this, follow me on this, maybe it once used to be okay just to have knowledge about Jesus and his word. Maybe there was a time in history where the culture wasn't so condemning against Christianity to a point where you could just be comfortable in the knowledge that you had about him. I would argue there's never been a moment like that. But just maybe you would say there was a time when it was safer to be a Christian and just having knowledge of God was okay. But I'm going to tell you today, the day and age in which you and me live, it's no longer okay just to have head knowledge about who Jesus is. You have to have experienced him in his presence. Are you following me on this? Because if you don't have that firsthand revelation that when the stirring of our culture comes against you, you're more likely to drift away because you can't say like John did, I know him. But once you've felt the love of Jesus, church, and once you have heard the loving voice of Jesus, something happens to your faith. Your faith goes from this liquid state to concrete. Like recently, Kim and I, we had to have some concrete work done on our driveway. I don't know if you've had to have concrete work done lately, but wow, they like their concrete. I'm talking about the price, okay? <laughs> wow, wow. I'm like, what in the world? Concrete got expensive, church, all right? So thank the Lord for people that are in concrete. If you're in the concrete business, we are so glad you're at New Life. We're so glad you're at New Life. And I got a good concrete guy, by the way, if you want to know who it is. So come follow me, find me later. Um, he does a lot of work here at the church. All right, so we had to get this concrete work done. You know what I discovered? Like, you're watching them pour the concrete. And I've done this many times. They're pouring this concrete. And you're like, if I fall on that concrete, when they pour it in there, I'm just going to get muddy and nasty. And hopefully my mouth isn't open. Right? You see what I'm saying? Like, if I fall on that concrete, I'm not going to necessarily break a bone I'm not going to necessarily, you know, scrape skin off my body. But once it hardens and I fall on it, 
wow, now I can break bones, scrape skin off my body, and God forbid, you fall and you hit your head on it too hard, you might die. Because it, it, it turned into a rock solid, right? It went from liquid to a solid state. It went from liquid where you can't park your car on it to all of a sudden you can park your car on it. It had a purpose to it. This is what can happen with your faith. But it has to go from a knowledge of Jesus to an experience with Jesus. See, I can still remember the moments where Jesus met with me and he spoke to me. And guys, I don't know, I don't know about you, but it's like as I even tell you these stories, it's as if I'm taken back to that moment again and I'm reminded one more time of who he is. Like I still remember the moment when I was at the campground of Alaska seeking God and God took me in his scriptures of Psalm 91, which is exactly what I needed to hear and I wept in his presence. I still remember him saying, Psalms 91, Jeff. I still remember the time when God spoke to me and he said, no, you're not going to take that first opportunity of a full-time pastor position. That's not what I have for you. That was just me, Jeff, patting you on the back, letting you know that you're going down the right path. I just wanted you to know that. I still remember the voice of God meeting me in my greatest moment of despair in the midst of COVID and God speaking to me about the vision that he gave me. And he says, I don't want to build my house back the same. Like I can still remember Hearing his voice, I still remember what his voice sounds like. I know what it's like to experience God, and it's concreted my faith, and it's given me purpose in the journey of where I'm going. Are you with me? But secondly, guys, well, here's what a firsthand experience with the presence of Jesus. It helps you to weather the ever-changing and decaying anti-Jesus culture in which we live in. A firsthand experience will help you weather that. It's still going to batter against you. It's still going to buffet you, but it doesn't have to take you down. Jesus is the one who told us that, look, in these last days in which we live in, there will be, there will be a great deception that comes. And we're watching it happen all around us. We're seeing people abandon the truth. We're seeing people choosing to follow what Jesus called the teachings of demons, things that are completely the opposite of God's word. We're watching people abandon their lives to these teachings of the demonic, right? And we're not talking about Satan worship here. We're just talking about the anti-culture, the anti-Christ culture that in which we are living in right now. We're seeing people rejecting parts of the Bible as if it wasn't even written, They'll read certain places, and they'll just skip past whole other, whole other parts as if it was never written, and we're seeing people rejecting who God actually created them to be. Let me just say this to you, that if you don't know the real Jesus and what he taught, then you're open to the deception. That's why we have to know him, because when you know him, then you're programming your heart correctly. Your, your life is like, it's like your cell phone that many of you are holding. Your cell phone has an operating system that was woven into the, the fabric of what makes it work. And that operating system speaks a certain coded language. And then all of the apps that you have are written in that language with that same code. Here's what's interesting. If you've got an Apple phone, the Apple phone won't re, it will reject the, the uh, which is smart. Okay, it's smart of the Apple phone. Very smart of the Apple phone to... To follow me, though, to, to reject the app created by the Android guys. Very smart. A couple people clapped. <laughs> Equally, though, it's very good, all right, that the Google guys copied the Apple guys. <laughs> and they wrote a code that's different than the Apple guys because they didn't want to get sued. And they build apps, right? 
And their, their Google phone won't take the Apple apps and, and, and let them come in. Because each of those operating systems knows its code and it rejects things that aren't written in its code. Now watch this. This world has a code that's different than the code of Christ. And when you have the teachings of Jesus, when you know his teachings, when you truly, truly know Jesus, then here's what's happening. You won't let other codes corrupt your heart. When you tr- that's why you got to know Jesus. That's why you got to have first-hand encounters with Jesus. That's why you got to get into his word. you got to study who is Jesus and what is he saying and what's he preaching. Because when you truly know Jesus, then you won't let this alternate code act like a virus and corrupt the hard drive of your mind either. You see, are you following me with this? But if you don't have the teachings of Jesus in your heart, then you're leaving yourself unprotected and vulnerable to a virus that sounds good, but in the end, it corrupts. That's the great deception that Jesus was talking about. So what do we do, church? We follow one of the core values of new life. One of our core values is that seekers find him. We need to become more hungry seekers. As we become more hungry seekers of him in his word, we find him. As we find him, there's a code that gets written upon our heart that when a false code comes, it goes, rejection, you can't download here because you don't fit the code. Right? That's the kind of people we have to come. We have to become those kind of people in worship. We have to become those people in prayer. We have to become those people in our everyday life. The more we know Jesus, the more his code gets written upon our heart, the more that you protect your heart from what's coming in this world. Now the rest of the chapter, the rest of chapter 1 into chapter 2, verse 6, the rest of all of that is building on this one simple fact. Here's the fact. God is light. And you might go, well, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> and we're going to talk about that, okay? It's building on this fact that God is light. And what that means for us is that we are to walk in the light. That's what it's calling us to do. God is light. We have to walk in the light. I, I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a big city walking at night? And are you thankful for the street lights? So that you can see the sidewalk better, right? You feel more safe. You actually probably also feel like other people can see you. So if something goes down, then they saw you and they can help you, right? But have you ever walked in a big city in a dark alley where there was no light? That's a little intimidating, a little scary. You want to get in and you want to get out. You want to get through that pretty quickly. In fact, listen, here's the way it works in Hollywood. You're watching a movie and if a person chooses to go down the dark alley versus the well-lit street, you know trouble's coming. And in our life, we know that as well. And that's what I love about this passage, because it says this, that God says this about himself, that he is light. Look with me and read with me in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It'll be on the screens. Here's what it says. It says that God is light, and what? And there is what? There's no darkness in him at all. This is what I love about God. Bonus thought for you. God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. Let me tell you who God is, though. God will race into the darkness and rescue you and pull you out of the darkness. But there is no darkness in him at all. So what do we find then? Here's what we find. We find for the rest of our teaching today that the rest of this whole thing is how in the world do you walk in the light? So in classic form, I told you to bring a Bible. 
These scriptures will not be on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible, lean over to someone that does have a Bible. Because the rest of this, John goes, look, you want to know what it means to walk in the light? I'm going to tell you what it means to walk in the light. When you read the rest of this whole thought, I'm going to tell you what it means to walk in the light. And in verse 6, he says this. You want to walk in the light? Well, then you've got to maintain fellowship with God. Verse 6. So we are, we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. So he says right off the bat, look. If you don't maintain fellowship with God, then you can't walk in the light. So what does it mean to maintain fellowship with God? To have relationship with God. All of us know what it means to build a relationship. We know what it takes to sustain a relationship. We know that on this earth we want relationship with certain people, but those people reject us. And sometimes we see God that way. I want you to know today, you lean in and try to build a relationship with God, maintain fellowship with God, you're going to find a warm reception on the other end. God always wants relationship with you. He always wants it with you. But you can't live in the darkness and walk in the light. John's trying to drive it home for us. You can't live in the darkness and walk in the light. You've got to make a choice. It's either going to be darkness or it's fellowship, building a relationship with Jesus. So you want to walk in the light? Maintain fellowship with God. In verse 7, he drives home this idea. That in light of making uh, fellowship with God, relationship with God, you also have to maintain fellowship with each other. He said it this way. But if you are living in the light as God is in the light, then what does he say? Then we have what? Fellowship with each other. And then the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So he goes, look, you, you, build, you build fellowship with God, relationship with God, but then I'm also telling you, you want to walk in the light? You better build fellowship and relationship equally with man. Doesn't that sound a lot like the teaching of Jesus when Jesus said the great commandment is to do what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then what? To love your neighbor as yourself? That's why this is a gateway to the entire New Testament. Now, let's move on. What, what's another thing? What does he say here? You want to walk in the light? Well, then in verse 8, he says you got to remain in the truth. He said it right here. He says, look, if we claim that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not what? Living in the truth. we got to live in the truth. What does it mean to live in the truth? It means this. Before God, stay open, honest, and transparent. Don't claim that, man, you are perfect and you got it all figured out. No. Be open and honest with God. Dialogue with him on a regular basis. Share your struggles with him. Seek his forgiveness, right? But this also means this about truth in the day and age in which we live. Darkness is sin. It's not just bad choices or things you disagree with. One of the, one of the degrations of Christianity is that we've allowed sin to become defined differently than darkness and we've just said look it's just something i don't agree with it's just it's just something that people make poor choices in no it's not that if it's anti-christ if it's anti-god's word then it's darkness either it's in darkness or it's in light it can't be in both and one of the things that would help you to maintain the walking in the light of god is to start recognizing sin is darkness plain and simple i don't want to be there I want to stay in the light. Then he goes on. He goes, look, you want to walk in the light? Verse 10, then you got to remain in the word. Take a look at what he says. If we claim we have not sinned, then we are calling God a what? A liar. And we're showing, watch this, we're showing that his word has no place in our hearts. You want to walk in the light? Then you got to keep his word in your heart. 
It's God's word, church, in this day and age in which we live that becomes the anchor in this ever-changing, decaying, anti-Jesus culture. You get his word in your heart, you're going to walk in the light. Then he changes gears as he moves into chapter 2. In verses 1 through 2, he says, look, if you want to walk in the light, then you have to keep coming to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. He says, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin, okay? I'm writing this to you so that you will do what? Walk in the light. But if anyone does sin, drifts into the darkness, then we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. Who is he? He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Amen? Amen. Verse 2, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the entire world. He says, look, if you want to walk in the light, man, you got to keep running back to Jesus. I don't know about you, but we need to not just repent, we need to live a life of repentance. There's something healthy, church, about living a life of repentance. It's not weakness, it's a strength. You think to yourself you're just a failure, but it's really a strength. Why? Because you keep running back to the feet of Jesus. Now, all of this that he's writing to us as the doorway into the entire New Testament is going, look, all of this is so that you don't sin. But if you do sin, I know, all of it's so that you can walk in the light, but there's going to be a moment when you stumble into the darkness. Know this, Jesus is there to pick you up and rescue you out. If you cry out to him and you seek him for forgiveness, and he drives home the thought, there's nothing you can do to save yourself but then lastly in verses three and four he says look you know basically you know there's a confidence you know you're walking in the light when you're living to obey the commands of jesus verse three and we can be sure that we know that we know him now watch this we can be sure that we know him that we're walking in the light if we what obey his commandments If someone claims, I know God, I'm walking in the light, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. They're not living in the light. You know you're walking in the light when you're living to obey his commands. Church, if that's the desire of your heart, then I would guess this about your life, that you're walking in the light. But to wrap this whole message up and to land the plane, I would just simply say this, that chapter 2, verse 5, it sums up today's message completely. Chapter 2, verse 5, sums the whole thing up. It says this, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they what? What is love? What is love? Watch, just watch. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know that we're living in him. Watch. Knowing Jesus, church. Knowing Jesus and walking in the light. That's what love is. Knowing Jesus. A desire, a hunger to know him. And a desire to walk in his light. That's love. And it's from that love to follow his commands, to know him and follow his commands, that then we show the world the love of Jesus. The world's desperately looking for the love of Jesus, but they're not going to find it until you and me, we get serious about knowing Jesus 
and walking in the light. We can go out there tomorrow and hold signs on the, on the sidewalks of our churches and hold signs for all the pastors by. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. That's one thing. But it's a whole other thing when the church, when the world sees that you know him and that you've walked with him and that you can tell the stories of what he's done and said to your life. It's a whole other thing that happens when they see you walking in the light. They start to see the love of Christ shining through you. So what's our action steps today? Well, this. Seek Jesus and find him today. That's your action steps. The altars today are for the hungry at all of our campuses. Seek Jesus and find him. Stretch yourself in worship and be more passionate. Go after Jesus. We're going to have a song that follows this message. Go after Jesus, right, passionately. For some of you, you need to repent of the darkness that you've allowed to remain in your life. Repent of it. There's darkness in your life. Get it out. Repent of it. For some of you, you need to run from the darkness back into the light of Jesus, the altars are for those who are hungry for Jesus. I'm trying to seek him to know him more. And I'm also, I'm, some of you are running from the darkness into the light. If you want to know Jesus more, I would encourage you to run to the altars in the midst of our worship. If you want to run from the darkness that has invaded your life and come back into the light, I would encourage you to run to the altars and find a place where you meet with Jesus today. He's here to meet with you at all of our campuses. He's here to meet with you. He's here to transform your life. He's here to change you. He's not playing games. He wants you to know him because he knows this world is going nuts and crazy. But in the midst of that, there is a spiritual awakening that's happening in those who are hungry and thirsty for God. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, today, today I know without a shadow of a doubt that you are here in our midst, that you are doing something supernatural, that you are at work you are at work in the spiritual world in which we cannot see with our physical eyes, but we can sense it through your spirit. We know that you have not abandoned us, you haven't given up on us, but you are pursuing us, and you want to reveal yourself to us. To those who are hungry, you give them food. To those who are thirsty, you give them drink. To those who seek, they find. And today, may we seek you, and may we find you, because this world desperately needs to know that we know you, Jesus. And they need to watch us walk in the light. So Lord, would you transform us so that the love of Jesus Christ could shine through us to a dark world so that others might know you as well. We love you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done for our lives. And may we live for you all the days of our life. And the church said? Amen. Amen. Come on.